It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here, of course. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Happy Monday. Welcome in. Hopefully your weekend was an enjoyable one. Hopefully, as we sit here with the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament in the books, your bracket is at least alive. Maybe not well, but at least alive. Yours truly is, I guess, kind of in the barely alive, barely have a pulse, but still ticking uh, camp. But hey, it's better to be alive than dead right now. That is for sure. A very fun first four days of the NCAA tournament. We'll break it all down here in a little bit. Who has the easiest road to the Final Four? Not to mention, there's always a few trends each year that remain the same. I think it's easy to forget and they always rear their ugly head. I'll tell you what those two trends are. We'll do the tournament talk 35 minutes from now at 940 Eastern. Of course, the big news of the day, or really the big news of the weekend, came that we finally have a Deshaun Watson decision. He is going back on his word. I remember the last time we were on the air, it was when Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network reported that Deshaun Watson has made his decision and it's down to two teams, the Saints and the Falcons. Well, as we know since then, he has done a total reversal, and he has chosen the Browns. We'll get into that decision here in a little bit and discuss now going forward, where the hell do the Browns rank in a very loaded AFC? And now those other three teams that missed out, the Saints, the Panthers, and the uh, Falcons, where do they go now for a quarterback? So we got a lot to discuss, a lot to break down between now and 11 a.m., as always, we are coming to you live from where else but the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Now, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So let's talk about that decision Deshaun Watson made. He chose the Browns over the Falcons, Saints, Panthers. He chose the Browns after eliminating them basically 24 hours prior to making his decision. With all of the hoopla, with all of the, at times, confusing points of Deshaun Watson's, I guess, courtship from these four teams, in the end, Deshaun Watson's shoes in the Browns is the right decision. He made the right choice. It doesn't matter how we got there. It doesn't matter that, you know, we were supposed to go from, let's say, A to B, but instead of going from A to Y to X to T, then ended up at B. It was a long, convoluted path at times to get to this decision, but in Deshaun Watson choosing the Browns over the Saints, Panthers, Falcons, he made the right call. He absolutely made the right call. The Browns right now are instant Super Bowl contenders. To me, they're right on the same level as the Chiefs and the Bills, so right up there in the upper echelon of the AFC. And it was the right call all along. Because like we told you back on Thursday when we were breaking it down and before we even have, or before we even had, I should say, 
a decision that reportedly was down to two, we did um, find out the three pieces of criteria that Deshaun Watson was looking for. What he wanted from a new team was threefold. He wanted a good O-line, a good defense, and a good head coach. And like we were telling you, the Browns check all three of those boxes. They have a good O-line, they have a good defense, and they have a good head coach. Look at their O-line. Right now in the NFLs, we are seeing the most important positions in football. Obviously, number one is quarterback. But right now, number two is pass rush. The guys getting the most money after quarterback are the ones who can tackle the quarterback, the ones who can make their life hell, the ones that can prevent the great quarterbacks from going off and torching teams. Guys like Von Miller getting six years, $120 million. Guys like Aaron Donald. Now we're seeing Miles Garrett, you know, uh, people of his elk in the last few years get paid big time money. TJ Watt as well. There is a lot of money now being placed, a lot of emphasis being placed after quarterback on defensive and defensive line, those guys who could tackle the quarterback. So now, if they, you know, using that theory, it should be quarterback, defensive end, pass rusher, we'll say. Well, the third most important position now is the guys who get paid to keep the quarterback upright. And the Browns have a really good offensive line, a really good pair at tackle to be able to keep Deshaun Watson upright. Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills Jr. had injuries last year that kind of derailed it and hurt their 2021 season. But they are very solid tackles, do a very good job at at pass blocking. And now Deshaun Watson, for the first time in his career, will actually have a good O-line in front of him to keep him upright. Browns have the best offensive line out of the four teams that are there. Not to mention, not only do they have a really good O-line in terms of keeping him upright and, and pass blocking, they have a really damn good rushing attack led by that strong offensive line, led by that offensive line that can push defenses around at their will. So now you have Deshaun, or for you Deshaun Watson, you're looking around at the four teams, you have a Browns offensive line that not only can keep you upright, but could take pressure off of you by being able to run the ball really damn well. That's a massive check for me that Cleveland had that, you know, they had a big advantage over the other three teams. Panthers O-line is They're trying to get better that it's not very good. The Falcons stinks. And the Saints is pretty good. But the Browns, I think, pass block better and especially run the ball better than what New Orleans gets. So the the Browns had the best O-line out of the four teams available for Deshaun Watson. There's one big check in what he was looking for. Good defense. We talked about guys that can get after the quarterback. There's not many better than Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is one of the best young pass rushers this NFL uh, league has to offer. He's been only getting better at his credit um, year in and year out to, to where now he's really kind of entering the peak of his career. They have a really good pass secondary, which when you look in the rest of the AFC, when you have the Bills and Josh Allen, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert's getting better and getting more weapons around him. You have now Russell Wilson coming to the conference. You even have in your own division Joe Burrow playing great, and you have Lamar Jackson seemingly going to have a bounce back year for Baltimore in 2022. You need a really damn good secondary. Just have a chance in this conference because you have so many good, elite, young quarterbacks you're going to be facing week in and week out, year in and year out. And if you don't have a secondary, you really don't have a chance. 
And now having a good defense and two of the most important areas you can have to make sure your defense is set to go, pass rush, secondary. Browns have both of those, boom, boom. So now Deshaun Watson has a team, again, has a chance to go to a team that it's not all on his shoulders. The Browns can run the ball really well, and now they can play some really good defense where you don't have to rely on being in a shootout every single week. You don't have to worry about scoring 30-plus points a game in order to have a chance to win. So, boom, big check next to the Browns for good defense, and good head coach the Browns have that as well. Out of the four teams, right, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Browns, the Browns have the best head coach. Kevin Stefanski, to me, is still a really good coach. I'm not souring on him uh, just because of a down 2021 season. He was coach of the year in 2020, helped the Browns win a playoff game for the first time in 26 years. Good offensive mind, is able to drop a scheme that keeps defenses on their toes. And again, is the better or the best head coach out of those four teams. Matt Rule's on the hot seat. Dennis Allen's a big question mark. And I like Arthur Smith so far as an offensive mind in, uh, in Atlanta. But one year, okay, it was not bad, but it's also tough to tell how good he is just because of the talent in Atlanta, not as great as some of the other teams. So I do think that Kevin Stefanski by far is the best head coach for Deshaun Watson and will put him in the best position to succeed. So when you look at everything Deshaun Watson was looking for, which again, Jonathan Jones of uh, CBS Sports, covers the NFL, great national reporter, he put out last week, Deshaun Watson is looking for three things for his new team. Good O-line, good defense, good head coach. When you look at the four teams that Deshaun Watson was choosing from, the Browns check all three of those boxes, good O-line, good defense, good head coach, whereas none of the other three teams are able to check all three boxes. You get one. Some teams like the Saints, you get two out of three. But only one team can offer all three, and that is the Cleveland Browns. Now, they have finished product. No. They still need help. You know, you still definitely need to add, I will say, at least one more receiver, but I would say way more depth uh, depth to that room. You got Amari Cooper in trade. Okay, I'm not really even sold at this point. Mark Cooper is a $20 million a year receiver. Actually, he's not a $20 million receiver. I'm not even sure if he could be a number one receiver anymore. He's too inconsistent for my liking. Disappears too many times in big games. So you get a Mark Cooper. Okay, you make a nice start, but you still now need to add depth to that receiving room to give Deshaun Watson a few more uh, weapons at his disposal. But really, other than that, the Browns are ready to go. Now it's just about staying healthy and getting those playmakers on the field, which they struggled with doing last year. So when you look at what Deshaun Watson wanted, what he was choosing from, the Browns not only had everything he was looking for, the Browns also, out of the four teams, had the most to offer of any of the four teams. The Panthers have question marks on the O-line, question marks with their head coach, Matt Rule. The Falcons have... I don't think a very talented roster, not to mention they're in salary cap hell in part because of Matt Ryan's contract. And the Saints, Saints are interesting, good online, solid defense, some good playmakers in Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, but Dennis Allen's a huge major question mark where if you're Deshaun Watson, that's a big risk to go to New Orleans and trust a guy that in his only other head coaching opportunity flamed out in Oakland with the Raiders. It was a really rough tenure for Dennis Allen.
So I think the smart decision, the right decision for Deshaun Watson was choosing the Cleveland Browns. They instantly become now Super Bowl contenders and are in the upper echelon of the AFC. I think they're right on par with the Chiefs and the Bills. And Deshaun Watson, I think, made the best decision not only to win now, but have you know a sustainable career where for the next 10 years, the Browns will be in the Super Bowl conversation every single year. So the Browns checked all the boxes. The Browns are now the you know one of the teams to be in the AFC, and Deshaun Watson, out of the four teams, I think, went to the best destination for him and what he was looking for. Doesn't matter how we got there. Doesn't matter that on Thursday's show, for most of it, we were reacting to the report that he was choosing between the Saints and the Falcons. Deshaun Watson, whether it was the money, whether it was an epiphany that, oh, wow, the Browns are a really good team, and I'm just remembering that now. However, he got to his decision. He did get there, and in the end, it was the right one. So I'm curious your thoughts. You see Deshaun Watson picks the Browns over the Saints, over the Falcons, over the Panthers. In your mind, did he make the right decision? Should Deshaun Watson have chosen the Browns over those three teams, or should he have gone to an NFC South team where the NFC is more wide open, the path to the playoffs is easier, the path to the Super Bowl is easier? Did he make the right decision in your mind? Love to get your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You could tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show or WWSRN underscore radio. We are on YouTube as well, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are all over the digital platforms. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And you could comment your thoughts on Deshaun Watson's future if you made the right call on all three of those platforms as well. So we'll get your Deshaun Watson thoughts. And when we return, the three teams that were the losers in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, Atlanta, New Orleans, Carolina, well, they still have quarterback questions. Where do they go from here? What do they do? We will discuss all three what the Panthers should do, what the Saints should do, what the Falcons should do, a quarterback when we return. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So we're discussing Deshaun Watson. Did he make the right decision in choosing the Browns over the Saints, over the Falcons, and over the Panthers? I think yes. I think he absolutely did. I think he made the right call because the Browns had, they were the only team out of the four that could offer Deshaun Watson all three things he was looking for. Good online, good defense, good head coach. Brown said, check, check, check. So I know the AFC is harder. I know the NFC, uh, the AFC North is more difficult than the uh, NFC South, which any of those other three teams he was choosing from are in. With that said, though, I still think he made the right decision. I still think the Browns now are super competitive right there in the Super Bowl conversation immediately. And I do think Deshaun Watson, despite the fact that we were told the Browns were the first team he ruled out out of the four, and then whether it was the five-year, $230 million, uh, uh, million dollar contract fully guaranteed, that changed his mind. Whatever it was, even if it was just the money, he made the right call. But now, on the flip side, three teams that were in the race that were looking to get Deshaun Watson's services missed out and now have a decision to make. 
Where do the Falcons go from here? Where do the Saints go from here? Where do the Panthers go from here? I have a solution for all three. Let's start with the Saints. Saints, I thought, were going to land Deshaun Watson. Now for them, their best move for 2022, Jimmy G. This is still a team that's good enough to contend for the division. This is still a team that absolutely can make the playoffs next year. Jimmy G is absolutely a quarterback that you can rely on to get you to the postseason. Because you look at this team, how they are constructed, how they played last year. You don't need a world beater in order to make the playoffs. Because you look at last year, this Saints team went 9-8. They won nine games with four different quarterbacks. Those quarterbacks being Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Ian Book. Book, Simeon, Hill, Winston combined to go 9-8. and eight. Now, I get Sean Payton was there, right? I get he is one of the best coaches in the NFL, so that does help, and his absence is definitely going to hurt this team and especially this offense moving forward. But if you can barely miss out on the playoffs with a combination of those four quarterbacks playing for you, I think if Jimmy G comes over from San Francisco, he's absolutely good enough to get you to bare minimum 9-8, and 10-7, and seven, and get you in the postseason. This is a, an NFC that at the bottom is very weak again. They have an opportunity where it's top-heavy. The Rams, the Packers, the Buccaneers will be at the top, but there's really not many teams that are you know scare you or really concern you moving forward behind them. So the Saints absolutely, in terms of talent-wise, are better than a lot of the other NFC teams. Let's also not forget, um, going 9-8 last year, they also did so without one of the best receivers in the NFL, Michael Thomas. Missed the entire year last year. He will be back and fully healthy next season. That's a huge boost for Jimmy G. You still have Alvin Kamara as well, one of the best threats out of the backfield. So you, you look now, you bring in Jimmy G, who all he has done in San Francisco has won. I don't want to hear about his, you know, his stats or, or that he, you know, the run game and everything else. I get it. They're not winning because of Jimmy G, but he has been there and he has played a crucial part in winning. There's not, it's not a coincidence that the last two years he's been fully healthy. Jimmy G is. The 49ers have gone to the NFC title game this past year and they got to the Super Bowl back in 2019. The guy wins, and I think if you bring him in, if you're the Saints you will continue that winning. I know Jameis Winston's out there. I know Jameis Winston's a free agent, so you don't have to give any uh, draft capital up to get him. And his contract is way cheaper than what Jimmy G's is going to be. But unlike Jameis Winston, Jimmy G is consistent. Like we saw how Jameis played last year, right? Jameis, before he got hurt, under Sean Payton, threw 14 touchdowns just to three picks. He played pretty well for the most part. The biggest bugaboo for him, bad decision-making, for the most part was flushed out by Sean Payton. But again, Sean Payton's not there. Pete Carmichael is still there. He's the offense coordinator for New Orleans. He's been there for a while with Sean Payton. No offense to Pete. I don't trust that he'll be able to coach Jameis Winston the same way where he is still making smart decisions a majority of the time. So I don't trust that the 14-touchdown, three-interception performance Jameis Winston had last year will be replicated again this year. So I don't trust Jameis's inconsistency. I don't trust that he had one solid you know, half of a season making good decisions. I don't trust he could do it again. 
So I would bring in the safe option in Jimmy G. He's on a one-year deal, so you're not committed to him long-term. You still have flexibility after 2022 to get your quarterback of the future. And with all the hoops the Saints have jumped through, they now have the cap room to add Jimmy G and make a few other moves as well. So for me, now that New Orleans misses out on Deshaun Watson, I think the answer for them is Jimmy G. Go grab the 49er starter and go make a playoff run next year. If you're the Falcons, now there's some buzz this morning that they could consider trading Matt Ryan. Ian Rappaport put it out there this morning that the Falcons have received trade calls and they have to make a decision today. But whether they are going to um, trade Matt Ryan or keep him there for next season. Because of the cap uh, or because he has a big bonus getting paid to him today, the Falcons got to figure out, well, is he going to be on our roster or not? Teams have called about possible trade inquiries into Matt Ryan. But for me, I'm the, the Falcons are better off and the best move for them is keeping Matt Ryan and not trading him today. Uh, to me, it doesn't really make much sense to move off Matt Ryan now. And if you're Matt Ryan, I don't think there's much sense for you in wanting to leave Atlanta this season. Like, right, let's just say this. If they got Deshaun Watson, trading Matt Ryan, incurring that huge dead cap hit makes a lot of sense. Even if you have a down 2022 season, you still have a quarterback in Deshaun Watson that will be there for a decade. So one down year isn't the end of it. But the reality is, the Falcons are not trading for Deshaun Watson. So what quarterback are you going to get that's an upgrade for Matt Ryan or is worth incurring the massive dead cap hit that they're going to have? Because whether Matt Ryan's on the uh, Falcons or not, he will uh, take up $55 million this season on the salary cap. With the way they restructured his contract, he is on the books, whether he's traded or the starting quarterback, for $55 million. So if you're Atlanta, why would you trade Matt Ryan now, have that $55 million cap hit on your books, and then what? Sign Marcus Mariota? Sign Jameis Winston to be your starter? It doesn't make much sense to me. It makes sense if you're getting Deshaun Watson. It doesn't make much sense to trade Matt Ryan away for uh, to bring in another quarterback that's not very good. Now, like, what is the end goal here? What are we doing? So I get now again they are getting field, uh, they are fielding trade calls and they're making a decision today about whether they should trade or keep Matt Ryan. The absolute right move should be to keep Matt Ryan, have him there for one more season, 2022. Have him play it out. Maybe you can make a, a playoff run again. The NFC is very weak and very wide open at the bottom. Maybe you could parlay that into a nine and eight season. And, you know, get in as one of the last wildcard teams. But next year, his contract is much more tradable and much more appetizing for, let's say, a contending team that wants to bring Matt Ryan in. Because also, let's not forget, if you're Matt Ryan, we are late in the process where there's not many options for you to go to that are better than what you have in Atlanta. I get he's frustrated. Ooh, sorry. Keep hitting this one pot here. I got to... Move it. It's still a work. The studio in New York City here is still a work in progress. Still trying to work some kinks out here. Um, I apologize for that. But getting back to Matt Ryan, where are you going to go? That's a better spot than Atlanta right now. Well, a lot of the teams out there have had their quarterback situation filled that maybe could have used Matt Ryan's services if he was on the trading block, let's say two or three weeks ago. 
Like, I get, okay, the, the one that makes the most sense is the Colts, right? They are ready to win right now. They have a good O-line, good defense, good running game. But if they choose Baker Mayfield, if they choose, I don't know, Jimmy G, if you're Matt Ryan, where are you going that's not indie? that's an upgrade from your current situation? Like, the Commanders, I think, would have been a fun team, an interesting team. Well, they traded for Carson Wentz. You're not going to be going to the Panthers or the Saints, both of which I think would be upgrades from your current situation because they're currently also obviously in the NFC South. The Seahawks, I don't think, are a very good team. I think, to me, the Seahawks are trending downward, and they're basically a team that's rebuilding. Pete Carroll will tell you they're still trying to compete, and they're still trying to win right now. They traded away Russell Wilson. They cut Bobby Wagner. They're moving on from a few other talented players. I don't like the way the Seahawks are trending right now. So you look around, not only there aren't many opportunities and options for Matt Ryan to go to, the ones that are still available, either he will not get traded to because they're in division, they are a worse spot than the Falcons are in right now, or like I said, the Colts are the best spot, but if they choose to go elsewhere, you really don't have an, an upgrade that you can make the playoffs in that's better than Atlanta for 2022. So I get Matt Ryan is frustrated. Because it feels like he was made to be plan B when the Falcons were prioritizing Deshaun Watson. Which, to their credit, right move. And now this is the fallout with that, uh, that happens and comes from it. So I get Matt Ryan's frustrated. But I think if he actually takes a step back and, and removes his emotions from the situation, he is going to realize there's really not any situation that's better than where I am right now in Atlanta for at least 2022 play for the Falcons this season, and then revisit your future next year, which, you know what? If Carson Wentz flames out in Washington, if the Colts go another stopgap and that doesn't work out, if another contender all of a sudden has an unexpected quarterback opening, your market will will be much more stronger and you'll be a much more attractive trade piece next year than you would be right now with you when you're trying to kind of force your way out of town where it's so where so many teams have already filled their quarterback room one way or another. So I think for the from the Falcons perspective, it make it makes no sense to move on from Matt Ryan and incur that massive dead cap salary cap hit that they're going to. Again, fifty-five million dollars is on the salary cap whether Matt Ryan is there in Atlanta in twenty twenty two or not. If you're going to pay that much money, I would rather have Matt Ryan on my team if I'm in Atlanta than trade him away and sign a cheap uh, option like Marcus Mariota off the free agent scrap heap. And if you're Matt Ryan, I'd rather play one more year in Atlanta, try to build my stock up, and wait for next year when many more contending teams will need your services than are out there right now. So the Saints... They miss out on Deshaun Watson. For me, their best bet now going forward, trade for Jimmy G. The Falcons, keep Matt Ryan. Sweet talk him, pay him a little extra, do whatever you got to do to keep number two, Matty Ice, in Atlanta for at least just, just next season. And if you're the Panthers, your best bet now, I say, draft in a quarterback. They have the number six overall pick. Take Malik Willis out of Liberty and call it a day. They've done a good job, Carolina has, in addressing the offensive line and free agency. You have DJ Moore as a solid receiver. I mean, you have Christian McCaffrey. The only issue is Christian McCaffrey's never on the field, so he's right now a bigger and a sexier name than really he's shown to be as a player on the field the last two years. But if you're Carolina, 
you have a really young defense. You have a really young core group of players. I say continue that and kind of keep everyone on the same page here by drafting a quarterback, Malik Willis, and go from there. I don't think the Panthers should waste their time with Jameis Winston. I don't think they should waste their time with Marcus Mariota. Jimmy G, I wouldn't say he's a fit just because, again, where the Panthers are, I think it's better to go a little bit more youthful because I'm not sure they're exactly ready for a playoff spot next year where you trade for Jimmy G to bring you in to make the playoffs, I would say, next year. I think it makes the most sense for the Panthers. Stay young. Use that number six overall pick to now try to find your franchise quarterback. Malik Willis is big. He's athletic, strong arm. I think that will fit nicely into what Carolina is trying to do and trying to look for in a quarterback. So go Malik Willis, go young, and hope that he is your next quarterback for the next decade. So Panthers, draft a quarterback. Falcons, keep Matty Ice. Saints, go trade for Jimmy G. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Love to hear them on whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter or WWSRN underscore radio. Also, uh, check us out on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When now that the three teams have that have lost out on Deshaun Watson, they need a quarterback. Where should they go? Who should the Saints look to? What should the Falcons do with Matt Ryan? And should the Panthers draft a quarterback? Love to hear your thoughts again. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, we're all there. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll get your thoughts. And when we return, it's been a crazy four days in the NCAA tournament. A few trends that I thought did pop up over the weekend that always kind of prove to show either success or lack thereof. And now... That we've gone from 64 to 16. Who is the easiest road to the final four? We'll discuss all those when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twenty minutes from now on the Ryan Hickey Show, the Browns got Deshaun Watson. The AFC, as we know, is totally loaded. Where does Cleveland rank in a very deep and loaded conference? We will discuss that again twenty minutes or so from now. But I do want to get your reaction. I do want to recap here a few of the big NCAA tournament um, storylines coming out of the first four days of the tournament. Because there are at least, I think, a few trends that I think are easy to forget about and sometimes go under the radar until you realize uh, that every single year they pop up and they prove to be true um, every year. So let's start with one that I thought really had helped here or, or, or happened. And that is, you never, ever in college basketball want to be a member of the t- uh, toughest conference in that certain year. You never want to be part of a tough, grueling, deep conference with multiple teams in the top 25 where 1 through 12, 1 through 10, or 1 through 14 are, you know, um, are, are tough to play every single night. Because those tough conferences, those deep conferences and very talented, balanced conferences never really have tournament success. And the one kind of feeling that 
this morning is the SEC. The SEC was one of the best conferences in all college basketball. I make the argument they were the best, right? I know the Big 12 was a lot of really good teams as well. Uh, the Big 12, whether it's Kansas, whether it's Baylor, Texas Tech, I get it. I do, though, think the SEC from 1 through 14 was the toughest and the deepest conference this season. They had four teams ranked in the top 17 in the final rankings heading into conference championship weekend. And here's the issue. Six of those teams made the tournament. Five eliminated on the first weekend. It's not a coincidence. Teams or, or these tough conferences, the grueling conferences that have a lot of talented teams that are a gauntlet night in and night out, always tend to have their most of their teams eliminated right away. Because now we are seeing the grind of the regular season. The, the pressure and the stress that comes along with playing every game at a, you know very high intensity, it wears teams out come tournament time. So teams in the SEC coming more exhausted, more worn out, more beaten down than let's say teams like Gonzaga in an easier WCC or teams like Duke in a easier ACC. Just the way it happens. Just the way it always goes down. Growing up, I was a huge Notre Dame basketball fan. So I used to watch a ton of Big East, old school Big East basketball with Louisville, with Georgetown, with Syracuse. Um, And every single year, those games would be physical. They would be down to the wire. They would be tough. The Big East in the regular season was so much fun. They were deep. There were so many talented teams. It was kind of an old school physical throwback kind of style of, of conference play. But the thing is, the Big East year in and year out would get seven, eight, nine teams in the conference into the tournament. And then by opening weekend, six, seven, eight of them would be eliminated just like that. The grind, the wear and tear of these tough physical conferences wears you out come tournament time. And the SEC is dealing with this reality this year. Because you look at some of the, the, the teams and the high seeds that were eliminated, we really shouldn't be surprised that so many SEC teams bowed out on either the first or second round. Like, you look at Auburn. At Auburn, after getting off to that hot start going 22-1, and one, has been struggling late down the season. And yesterday, lost to a Miami team that not only was less talented than them, they blew a real opportunity to at least have an easy run to... They lead eight and maybe the final four. Like now with that Miami loss, they could have played Iowa State, who's having a tremendous and Cinderella-type run so far, going from two wins last year to now a Sweet 16 possible Elite Eight berth this year. Their tournament excuse me, has been very impressive. But for Auburn, you have Jabari Smith a lottery pick. You have Walker Kessler, a very highly talented, highly ranked recruit kind of high school when he was at UNC last year. Very Great player. You have deep and, and a talented roster. And Auburn came in struggling. Bad out of the second round. Tennessee, one of the hottest teams in all the country, came in winners of 13 in the last 14 games, won the SEC championship. And lose to a Michigan team. Get eliminated by a Wolverines team that barely made the field. Needed to get into the first four um, just to be able to, or or, I'm sorry, barely missed out on the first four, excuse me, 
um, and was able to upset Colorado State in round number one. But Michigan should have been in the first four. Michigan was one of the last teams in. Doesn't matter. They're in the Sweet 16, and they bounce one of the hottest teams in all the country. Arguably, maybe the hottest team coming in. But it doesn't stop there. Kentucky losing to St. Peter's, where Kentucky came in kind of scuffling, not playing great basketball, and now, after a grueling SEC regular season, suffer really what is Coach Calipari's probably worst loss of his career. Worst loss of his career. Losing to 15-seed St. Peter's in round number one. Alabama's been a team that's been up and down under Nate Oates all year uh, all year long. They have put together some good stretches where they could beat any team in college basketball. They also have put together some bad stretches where they could lose to any team in college basketball. And we saw that on Saturday or Friday. Losing to Notre Dame. And despite the fact that Notre Dame played a double overtime game against Rutgers in the first four on Wednesday, got in late to San Diego, should have been exhausted, should have been the, 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 you know, the team that's more tired and got off to a slow start. But instead, Notre Dame was the more energetic team. They, they were the more lively team and looked into it more than, uh, than Alabama did. And again, I think that goes back to the grind of the SEC regular season, the grind of playing in one of the toughest conferences this year that college basketball had to offer, really does bite teams like Alabama, LSU in the butt. Because then again, come tournament time, these teams are more worn out and they are more susceptible to getting bounced earlier than other teams that you know had an easier run of it, let's say, in the regular season. Like the only team out of the six teams that made it in one of the best conferences in college basketball this season, there's only one team left, and that's Arkansas. And even Arkansas, despite the fact they're in the Sweet 16, Eric Musselman's teams uh, or team in the first two games hasn't played really well. Struggled, and Baylor was able to put away Vermont in round number one. Struggled with that, and was tight with New Mexico State all game long in the round of 32. This team has not played great. They really haven't. To their credit, they're still standing, so that yeah, means something big. But even Arkansas, the only team left that the SEC has, still has not played very good basketball at all. So the grind of playing these games that are so intense, that are so um, tough week in and week out, truly, while it's fun in the regular season, it's great to have bragging rights then, it truly does come back to bite a lot of these teams come tournament time. Again, we saw it a lot with the Big East. We've seen it a lot in the Big Ten in recent years as well. And this year, we are seeing it with the SEC. Speaking of another trend I want to get into here, that continued. In almost, we could say the NCAA tournament is a brand new season, right? Like, tournament time, everyone's slate is wiped clean. Everyone now has a, you know, a fresh start. And now it's five games in order to make, five, six games in order to make you know your season worth it or not. But just because it's... You know, you could say reality-wise um, or technically-wise a new season. Doesn't really mean that all of a sudden teams change who they are. Like, the, the tournament, if you are struggling, is not an elixir for teams to all of a sudden wake up and play well. And we saw that this weekend. Again, we just hit on Auburn before, struggling. Auburn since that 22-1 and start where they rose up to number one of the rankings, really struggled down the stretch, and the tournament doesn't give you an opportunity to reset. Auburn finished 6-5 and five down the stretch. They finished losers 3-4 to last four with their only win coming against Jacksonville State. 
They lost early in the SEC tournament. They lost their final game in the regular season to Texas A&M. And now they lose and get bounced by Miami in round number two and really didn't play that well. They peaked too early. And even though you have talent, again, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, even though you have a very nice seed, number two seed, the tournament doesn't provide or doesn't uh, serve as a reset button on your season. If you've been struggling coming in, you are going to continue to struggle and really not play up to your potential. I don't think Auburn is going very far. I know they're a popular Final Four or lead a pick. Not to kind of bracket. Well, it's not even a brag because my t- bracket is god-awful. God-awful. But Auburn is one of those teams I identified. Eh, they're coming and struggling. I don't really like teams that come in struggling. Auburn showed you just right there when and why you can't trust them. Kentucky, same thing. I mean, this is, this is a Kentucky team, let's not forget, that went into Lawrence, Kansas and smoked KU earlier this season by t- basically 20 points, 18 points they won by in late January. Now, two months later, they lose to St. Peter's. No disrespect to the Peacocks. A great story, arguably the best story so far of the, the tournament. But this is a Kentucky team that is very talented where you have... You know, analysts, I know John Fanta of Fox Sports was on the show. I work on the Zach Kelp Show on CBS Sports Radio. We had him on a preview of the tournament last week. He said, when every team is playing at their best, no one is better, no one is more talented than Kentucky. Kentucky was an extremely popular Final Four pick, and they lose in the first round to St. Peter's. They came in not playing great basketball. They leave not playing Great basketball, and again, suffer what is Coach Cal's worst loss of his career. So it doesn't kind of serve as a as a reset. It doesn't really serve as a wake-up call. If you come in struggling, you are going to continue to struggle. And I even put Duke in this category well. I know Duke is in the Sweet 16. Their season is still alive, but they have not played good basketball in this tournament so far. I don't think they're a Final Four team. I don't. Watching especially that game yesterday against Michigan State, the talent discrepancy Duke has over the Spartans is massive. But with that said, the defense wasn't getting many stops from the Blue Devils. Michigan State was hitting a lot of shots, including a lot of threes. The offense at times for Duke went to sleep and couldn't you know, hit many shots. Now, to Duke's credit, final five minutes of the game where Michigan State was going on a run and I thought was going to run away with it, up by five. To Duke's credit, the last four or five minutes of the game, they played their best arguably so far they have in March. Impressive turnaround on the offensive end. They got stops on the defensive end. They made clutch shots. They made their free throws. They, they closed out and did what good teams do. Finish the game strong. But with that said, I'm still not believing in Duke. I'm still not you know impressed with what they have done. Because, again, they still come in kind of struggling and outside of a good final five minutes have played inconsistent basketball um, for, the, for the latter part of March so far. So even teams that come in struggling right here still don't really get much better come March. So I do want to quickly here at least reassess the final four picks that I have made um, coming from Thursday. My final four was Baylor, Arizona, Kansas, Texas Tech. Obviously, Baylor bounced in round two. A great overtime game between them and North Carolina. Baylor down by 25. Eventually did come back to tie. Wasn't able to get the win in regulation. Credit to North Carolina for getting the win in OT. 
but three of the four final four picks I made still alive. And I don't know about you, I'm feeling pretty good about. I'm feeling really good about Kansas. Not only to make the final four, they are my champion. And I do feel so far good about it. Not only right now do they have, I would say, easily the uh, the easiest road to the Final Four. They play Providence, which is going to be a tough game, but they play Providence in the Sweet 16, then the winner of Miami, Iowa State, in the Elite Eight. So, tough road against Providence, but again, if you're telling any Kansas fan, hey, your road to the Final Four is Providence and then either Miami or Ohio State, uh, Iowa State, you're taking that every time. And to their credit, the Jacks have played good basketball so far through the first two rounds. So feeling really good about Kansas. Arizona, man, what a game that was last night. What a way to round out the round of 32 and put a cap on the opening weekend of the tournament. I know TCU put a scare in them. You can make the argument that should have been a foul called late in regulation to put uh, TCU on the line with a chance they had free throws to win the game. But even though Arizona, or even though they got scared and pushed big time by TCU, I think the Wildcats will be fine. They definitely got bailed out by that no foul call late. Again, the foul call that should have been made that would have put TCU at the line with under five seconds. It would have been really tough for Arizona to follow through. But to Arizona's credit, what I like to see coming out of them is that late in the game, big moments, their best players stepped up. You had Benedict Matherin. Dropped 30 points from the game, but it wasn't even a hollow 30 points. A lot of his points came late in the second half and overtime. Played really well. A huge clutch three to tie the game that eventually said it's overtime. Big plays also in overtime as well to clinch it. Christian Coloco, 28 points. Dominated down low as well, where TCU was getting a lot of big boards late. Coloco stepped up, made some big offensive rebounds, and really put the put back, put back dunk in order to close out the game. When they needed a big-time performance, those two players from uh, Arizona stepped up big-time. Feeling good about Arizona. Texas Tech, man, let me tell you. I know they played another close game against Notre Dame and um, needed, you know, hold the way down to the wire to, to get out there and go to the Sweet 16. I'm feeling really good about Texas Tech in their region because they are a very tough defensive team that I think is going to rely and is going to need, but is also going to play Good defense against their next two opponents. They're playing Duke in the in the Sweet 16. Assuming Gonzaga wins, they'll play Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Both those teams have been vulnerable so far. Both those teams, Duke and Gonzaga, have not only struggled to get stops defensively, I think Texas Tech is good enough defensively to stop and shut down both of those teams. Duke has been a little bit of hot and cold. They've been a team of, of runs offensively. Gonzaga... Next, I've been more consistent in scoring the basketball, but especially on the defensive end, I've struggled to get stops so far in either of their first two games. I'm feeling really good about Texas Tech, where I know they shot the lights out in the opening round and then came kind of back down to earth against Notre Dame. They were, again, able to make buckets. Well, I can't say make buckets. They made free throws late. But they are a team where their identity is built on the defensive end and down the stretch got stops on Notre Dame that allowed them to pull away. I think their defense will be able to shut down Duke. I think their defense will be able to shut down Gonzaga. I'm feeling really good so far about my pick of, of Texas Tech coming out of that region where they could beat Duke and Gonzaga in the span of two days. And finally, I guess I, I will I will give you a new Final Four pick here because I had Baylor. Had Baylor my national title game. Obviously, that's out the window with them losing to UNC in, in round number two. 
So if I got to pick a new team for it to come out uh, of that East, East region, I'm taking Purdue. Purdue is playing some great basketball right now. Jay Nivey's been fantastic all season long. Another big game of the tournament last night. Trayvon Williams has been a low down low. And one thing I do like about Purdue now, especially with Baylor out of the way, is that they are a massive team. They're physical. They're big. They can beat you down low. They can hit shots on the outside. They have many different ways they can beat you, which that versatility is huge when you are in you know, an NCAA tournament where sometimes some things are working and others aren't. You need different ways in order to win games. I like that Purdue has that. So Purdue is replacing Baylor as my Final Four team now coming out of the East. So when we're returning on the Ryan Hickey Show, the Browns, going back to the big story of the weekend, the Browns get Deshaun Watson. With Deshaun Watson on their team, where do they rank in terms of the other teams in the AFC? We'll break down tiers of the uh, of the AFC conference. Who was the best teams in that conference when we return? It's up to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As always, the 10 a.m. Eastern Hour is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com. That's lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. So now that the Browns have Deshaun Watson, now that we are looking at an extremely loaded AFC Conference, where do we rank Cleveland? Where do the Browns fall in the pantheon of a deep conference? I want to kind of break down it and use that or take that question to discuss this. I want to break the AFC down into four tiers right now. Which teams are in the elite tier who are Super Bowl contenders, playoff contenders, and just who has no chance in 2022. I want to kind of break down and rank all 16 teams in the AFC using those four tiers. Elite, Super Bowl contender, playoff contender, and just teams that have no chance in 2022. Let's start with the elite. I think four teams in the AFC have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Those four teams are the Chiefs, the Bills, the Broncos, and the Browns. I think all four of those teams are a cut above everyone else in the AFC. Look, the Chiefs, I don't know about you, I'm still never betting right now, at least against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Still one of, if not the best, head coach-quarterback combination in all the NFL. They, I think, will bounce back and have a more consistent 2022 offense, right? We saw this year, or this past year. How inconsistent that offense was where Mahomes at times would look great, other times would look totally lost. I think now that will serve as a big learning experience and they will be a more consistent offense going forward. I like the Justin Reed addition on defense as a safety to kind of bring some more stability to the back end. I like the Juju Smith-Schuster trade, which 
He goes from being a number one in, in Pittsburgh, which I think was a little bit over his skis, to now a number three option and one of the best number three options in the NFL. Like, you look at it. Obviously, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are like one and one A. There was no better, I guess, if you want to say two or even three wide receiver in the NFL than I would say Juju Smith-Schuster. So the offense continues to add more weapons, continues to add guys that you know make it tough to guard. So I like that the Chiefs, to me, are still going in the right direction, still have a lot uh, of talent there. I think absolutely they are by far still in the upper echelon in that elite category in the AFC. Same thing with the Bills, right? To their credit, they continue to go all in. Josh Allen's coming off of one of the best playoff performances we have seen. They they addressed one of their biggest weak points of the 2021 season, getting after the quarterback. They're able to add Von Miller on a very fat deal. Six years, $120 million. But now, again, like we said, outside of quarterback, the most important position teams can have on the field is pass rush. Is someone who can get after the quarterback. The Bills desperately were missing kind of that significant or inconsistent pressure on the quarterback uh, last year. Now at least they get um, a, a vaunted edge rusher in Von Miller, who at 33 still has a lot of, I would say, gas left in the tank. We saw that when he was traded from Denver to L.A. this year. I know playing with Aaron Donald helps, but um, he definitely I think, will be able to give that pass rush of Buffalo some life. So I still like the Bills a lot. A little bit of questions about their their wide receiver depth. They cut Cole Beasley. They asked Stephon Diggs, who's still a, a great receiver, but still want to kind of see where they go uh, behind Stephon Diggs well. But Bills, absolutely still one of the elite teams uh, in the AFC. They are going to be a team to be, um, to be dealt with for a very long time. The Broncos, obviously you had Russell Wilson, a huge boost. But this roster, 2-53, through 53, is very deep. Like, I know it's maybe easy to write off um, Denver because they've had Teddy Bridgewater playing quarterback. They've had Trevor Simeon recently, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Drew Locke. Like, their quarterback situation has been a total nightmare of, uh, of late. So their record hasn't been very sexy. They've not been a team that we've really focused on a ton, in part because they're never really in or around the playoff uh, situation. But... You add now a top five quarterback in Russell Wilson. You now add or, or, or take this elite roster and make it to me one of the best in the AFC because they have everything else before Russ. They have everything else you can want. They can run the ball well with Javante Williams. They have a, a solid O-line, decent O-line. It's a great no, but you know what? It gets, definitely gets the job done. You have really good skill players even after Trading away Noah Fant at tight end receiver running back. Defensively, they are good and young in the secondary. They can get after the uh, quarterback with Bradley Chubb, and they just signed Randy Gregory. So they have a lot of skill, good secondary, a lot of young players. All they needed was a quarterback to put them over the top, and bringing Russell Wilson in puts them over the top. They are, to me, absolutely one of the elite teams now in the AFC. They're going to be a team that is going to be dealt with for a very long time. It's going to be a pain in the ass. So the Broncos really kind of, you know, uh, boosted their stock big time here by adding Russell Wilson. They, to me, now 1 through 53, are one of the most balanced and deep teams in all of the NFL next season. That's why they are in the cut above category in the AFC, in the elite tier. And finally, the fourth and final team is the Browns. 
I do think the addition of Deshaun Watson puts them now a cut above everyone else. Puts them in the same class as the Bills, as the Chiefs, and as the Broncos. Because similar to Denver, the Browns have a very loaded, balanced, and deep roster. One of the best O-lines in the NFL. One of the best run games in all the NFL. One of the best secondaries in the NFL. A great defensive pass rusher in Miles Garrett. They need some help with wide receiver, but really, other than receiver, they are... They are good, they are deep, they are talented at every other position group on the field. And now, you add a 27-year-old Deshaun Watson in his prime as a top 5 quarterback to your roster. They absolutely are in that elite category. I know 2021 was a big disappointment. I know you know they went from second round of the playoffs uh, in 2020 to Super Bowl expectations going to 2021 and fallen short of that by not even making the playoffs. But I do think a lot of the downfall for the Browns in 2021 was due to injuries. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, the offensive line, some uh, injuries to the defense. They were bit by the injury bug hard. So I do think the Browns now getting healthier in 2021, adding a prime top five quarterback in Deshaun Watson, absolutely gives them the edge and puts them in that elite category in what is a loaded, loaded conference. So in the elite category, I think there's four teams that are cut above everyone else in the AFC. And again, that category are the Chiefs, the Bills, the Broncos, and the Browns. I think two teams below them are in the Super Bowl contender category. That is the Chargers and that are the Bengals. Look, the Bengals, obviously you have Joe Burrow who is a massively talented quarterback, obviously, was able to carry them to the Super Bowl kind of almost by himself, right? But now, to the Bengals' credit, they have addressed their biggest weakness, which is the offensive line. Spent a ton of money getting Ted Karras in there at center, getting Alex Kappa, a good guard from the Buccaneers, getting him to free agency, and now, just this morning, officially signing former Cowboys tackle Lyle Collins. So you have had three big signings for the Bengals in order to give Joe Burrow any sort of hope at protection. So you are able, you have been able to address the biggest weakness on your team, which is O-line. You still obviously have a ton of great skilled players that are young and cheap, by the way. I love what both the Bengals and the Chargers have done this offseason because both have quarterbacks on their rookie deal and both now are balling out and exploding and spending money Everywhere else, well, the quarterback is still cheap in order to make the most of trying to capitalize on their quarterback's so far early success. So offensive line getting short up is going to make this offense even more explosive, give Joe Burrow even more time to find Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and give Joe Mixon even more rushing lanes to run through. So I love that the Bengals um, address the biggest weakness. To me, this is not a team that's a flash in the pan. I don't think their run to the Super Bowl last year was a one-off and they'll go back to just being a decent, maybe, you know, hoping to make the playoffs, borderline playoff team every single year. This team is here to stay. And their offense or their free agency moves so far addressing the offensive line shown that. So the Bengals are absolutely in the Super Bowl contender category. Same thing with the Chargers. 
I love what the Chargers are doing and going all in this offseason. They signed they signed J.C. Jackson to a big deal, the best corner on the free agent market. They traded for Khalil Mack, realizing in a loaded AFC West with four elite to really good quarterbacks, the best way to slow them down is by getting guys who can get after the quarterback and tackle them. Khalil Mack can absolutely still do that. You're able to sign Mike Williams, who was supposed to be a free agent. signed him to a nice three-year deal, so you're able to keep weapons around Justin Herbert. The Chargers, like I said, are doing what the Bengals are doing as well. What teams dream of being able to do. And that is have a young quarterback on a rookie deal that is playing really, really well at a a Super Bowl level. And that allows you to address other positions around the team and spend a ton of money in different areas because you know the quarterback is still cheap. So these teams, in terms of the Bengals and the Chargers, I wouldn't say they're in the elite category. They're definitely not a step above and on the same class as the Chiefs, Bills, Broncos, Browns, but they are absolutely Super Bowl contenders heading into 2022. So the third tier I have here is playoff contender. I don't think they're they're Super Bowl teams, but teams that definitely should make the playoffs and will be in the mix all season long. Patriots, Ravens, Titans, Colts, Raiders. I'll explain it this way why they're not in the elite category or why they're not in the Super Bowl category. Because I think all five teams I just listed, Patriots, Ravens, Titans, Colts, Raiders, it's obvious why they are playoff contenders, right? They all have really good rosters or have all really good quarterbacks. Some have both um, where they are going to be really damn good, a lot of talent. But the reason why they're not in the Super Bowl or elite category, we'll start with the Patriots, is because I think the Patriots got worse, worse this offseason. They traded away one of their their really solid offensive linemen, Shaq Mason, for basically nothing. Traded him for a fifth-round pick. To me, it doesn't make any sense at all. They lost J.C. Jackson, one of the best corners in the NFL, um, the best corner on the free agent market, lost him to the Chargers. Mac Jones is a quarterback that did fade down the stretch, did play some of his worst football in the big moments for New England, which is not a very good trend that you want to see. So the Patriots have gotten worse this offseason, and still I want to see more from Mac Jones when it comes to the you know late November and January, uh, late November, December, January football. Can he play well? So far, he has failed to do so. The Titans, as long as Ryan Tannehill is QB one, the Titans are never going to be in the Super Bowl contender category. That's just uh, I'm sorry, he's not a quarterback you can rely on in the postseason. He has played in five playoff games. He has sucked in all five of them. Look it up. Even the two games Tennessee won back in 2019 when they went to the AFC title game, they won because of Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill has not played well in any of the five playoff games he's played in. I don't see that changing anytime soon. So when you have a quarterback that continually fails to play well in the playoffs, you are not a Super Bowl contender. The Ravens. The Ravens, to me, are the biggest question mark coming into 2022. Because last year... I think the reason why they missed the playoffs can absolutely be blamed first and foremost on injuries. Before the season even started, every running back they had was out for the year. I felt like every defensive, or not every, but they suffered some big losses in the secondary early on in the year and throughout the season lost every defensive back they had. So uh, running back room was wiped out right away. The secondary was depleted as the season went along. Those are two really important positions for the Ravens, especially when you have the skill set of Lamar Jackson based on running the ball and based on establishing a ground attack. You need healthy, dynamic running backs to be able to do that. 
the Ravens weren't able to do so because of injuries. So they're going to be healthier, obviously, in 2022. But my main question is, everyone else in the AFC got better. Did the Ravens get better this offseason? I don't think they did. They stayed the same. Now you can make the argument, okay, they get you know their players back from injuries, so that's just, just having them healthy should still make them one of the best teams and deepest teams in the AFC. I just really, I don't like the way the Ravens so far are heading into the 2022 season. Lamar Jackson, can he stay healthy? Well, I mean, this was the first year that he had injuries in 2021, but still not fully trusting his ability to get on the field for a full season. The weapons on the outside still get me a little bit nervous. Um, and defensively, their secondary I know is beat up, but their defense was not very good last year, and they haven't made really any adjustments. They they were supposed to sign Cedarius Smith, and that deal fell through. So the Ravens, to me, have stayed stagnant. Well, everyone else has gotten better in the AFC this offseason. That's why, to me, the Ravens are not in that Super Bowl contender category. The Colts, you can kind of put in there with the Titans. You don't have a quarterback. You don't have a chance. Colts right now don't have a quarterback. They are nowhere near the Super Bowl contender category. And the Raiders. The Raiders are an interesting one because they have obviously been very active in this free agent period. They traded for Devontae Adams. They had a really good signing in Chandler Jones. Um, so they have, you know, coming off the playoffs last year, have capitalized so far on that momentum. But I do have some doubts and questions. I have my doubts about Josh McDaniels, and it was a very good offensive mind, but how will he be as a head coach? I'm not really too sold on him having a, a renaissance um, after a failed first stint with the Broncos a decade ago. I'm not sold Derek Carr can be a quarterback that continues to take another step from 2021. Now, he was one of the biggest reasons why the Raiders made the playoffs last year. He played great down the stretch. Is he, though, that quarterback that can play well down the stretch again? Can he be that quarterback to lead the Raiders to a, uh, to at least a playoffs and the Super Bowl? I would still say no. Because we have seen enough of Derek Carr's career to show that he is not that kind of quarterback. 2019-2020, Raiders got off to hot starts both years, and both years crashed and burned down the stretch, including Derek Carr. Now, last year he flipped the script, but I'm still not sold he can do it again. And you got to look at the Raiders right now. Big question marks in the in the secondary as well, which is not the place you want to have question marks when you are in a division with Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and, and Justin Herbert, that's for sure. But look at the Raiders. You know, I still honestly would pick them to finish fourth right now in the AFC West. I don't think they're better than the Chargers. I don't think they're better than the Broncos. And I don't think they're better than the Chiefs. So that's why for me, the, Rave, uh, the Raiders, while they made some nice moves, while they still have a lot of talent and made some nice splashes, I'm still not sold this team is on the Super Bowl level yet. So playoff contenders, Patriots, Ravens, Titans, Colts, Raiders, all good rosters, all teams that will make the playoffs or be right there come the end of the season. But I don't think any of them are talented enough uh, either roster-wise or quarterback-wise to make a run and be Super Bowl contenders. And the final tier, no chance. These teams, no chance of making the playoffs, no real chance of even coming anywhere close to being a real threat to win the Super Bowl in the AFC. Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, Steelers, Titans. Those five, no chance for 2022. So when you look at least the upper echelon here, we look at the Browns getting Deshaun Watson. I will put them in the, in the elite category. I think there are four teams right now in the AFC that have separated themselves from everyone else. I think those teams are the Chiefs, the Bills, the Broncos, and the Browns. 
Those to me are the four teams that are by far the best in the AFC that I think that have an argument to better than every other team in a very loaded and deep conference. How about yourself, though? Where do the Browns rank? Are the Browns one of the four best teams in your mind in the AFC, or am I overhyping them? Do they not deserve to be there? Love to hear your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRRun underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. You can comment on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Where do the Browns rank in a loaded AFC? Are they one of the elite teams in the conference? We'll get your thoughts. And when we return, I want to hit on here because it was a very busy news day since the last time we talked to you on Thursday. We haven't even mentioned one of the biggest trades to go down in the offseason, and that was the Packers sending Devontae Adams to the Raiders for a first and second round pick. I want to discuss why the hell the Packers trade Devontae Adams and why there's one man to blame for it, Jordan Love. We'll discuss that when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The show has been taken over by Deshaun Watson as we react to the big news from Friday's decision of Deshaun Watson to choose the Browns over the Falcons, uh, Panthers, and Saints. We'll get back to that decision by Deshaun Watson in a little bit, but we have yet to touch on the biggest trade to go down this offseason, and that is Devonta Adams getting traded from the Packers to the Raiders. Now, we got to discuss and figure out and get to the bottom of why the Packers would trade Devontae Adams. And I think the very easy answer, the obvious answer here, and the right answer, is that Jordan Love forced the Packers to trade Devontae Adams from the Packers to the Raiders. Here's why. If it wasn't for the Packers drafting Jordan Love, if it wasn't for them making that extremely controversial pick back in 2020... I think Adams would have been on Green Bay in 2022 and beyond because Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have taken up so much attention. It's not Jordan Love himself saying, trade Devonta Adams. It's the pick of Jordan Love that set the dominoes in motion that eventually finally fell to where on Thursday night, we got the news that Devonta Adams was getting traded from the Raiders, uh, from the Packers to the Raiders. It's that pick, that selection that eventually put Devontae Adams on the back burner in the Packers' minds as they focus on Aaron Rodgers, that ultimately led Adams to being disgruntled with the organization, that ultimately forced Green Bay to for, uh, to trade the all-pro receiver, trade, I would say, the best receiver in the NFL right now for a first and second round pick and really take a, and really, I should say, serve as a huge, huge loss to a team that is Super Bowl or bust right now. Let's let's look back here. Let's kind of follow the bouncing ball to discuss how this Jordan Love pick ended up kind of forcing uh, the Packers to trade an all-pro receiver. As we know, go back to 2020. The Packers traded up infamously in that first round to draft the quarterback from Utah State. 
That pissed off Aaron Rodgers twofold. Number one, he was coming off of a decent, you know, 2019 year where the Packers made it to the AFC, uh, NFC title game. So Aaron Rodgers wanted help at receiver. He felt like the Super Bowl window was open, and he wanted the draft pick to be built to help the team win now. So not only does a draft and a quarterback not help the Packers win right now, also, they didn't give Aaron Rodgers a heads up. They didn't tell him, oh, Aaron, hey, by the way, we're going to trade up in the first round in order to draft what could be your replacement in a few years. Aaron Rodgers found out how me and you found out. Watching Roger Goodell walk up to the podium and say, with the 29th pick, the Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love. That's pretty, you know, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you have a right to be pissed off. You have a right to be upset. So as we know, the wheels were then in motion. Aaron Rodgers did voice his frustration, but for the most part, played the good cop role in 2020. Didn't really voice his frustration too much outside of the first few days after the draft. Was quiet all offseason long. Took care of Jordan Love. There was no drama. But as we know, after the NFC title game in 2020, where the Packers lost to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at home, that post-game press conference, Aaron Rodgers said what? My future is a beautiful mystery. Kind of all of a sudden, putting some speculation out there that maybe he, he could be done in Green Bay sooner than we thought. As we know, fast forward to draft day, uh, you know, that offseason, 2021 draft, Aaron uh, Adam Schefter drops the bomb that Aaron Rodgers is frustrated with the organization. He has had his doubts whether he's going to return and that he told players and other opposing players that he doesn't think he'll be back in Green Bay. So as we know, that all of a sudden started an insane news cycle where Aaron Rodgers, for basically almost a year, was the center of attention and his future was a main question mark uh, that kind of hovered over the sport. We didn't even know if Aaron Rodgers was going to play in Green Bay in 2021. The Packers didn't know. So guess what? The Packers all offseason, since that draft day news bomb by Adam Schefter that Aaron Rodgers was upset, they were working to get Aaron Rodgers back to Green Bay for that 2021 season and beyond. They are working however they possibly could to to make their relationship better. They're trying to reach out to Aaron to convince him to stay, not make any rash decisions. And as we know, eventually did have it work, but basically spent all of April, May, June, and July courting Aaron Rodgers in order to keep him in Green Bay. Those four months of attention, basically solely on number 12, while it worked, all of a sudden though, did kind of force their hand in losing Devonta Adams, and here's why. Devonta Adams, last offseason, was entering the final year of his deal. He wanted a contract extension. He wanted to stay in Green Bay. He also wanted to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. But the issue is he wanted to talk about uh, a contract extension last offseason. The issue was the Packers had tunnel vision, rightfully so, on Aaron Rodgers, dedicated all their resources to making sure Aaron Rodgers was going to be their quarterback. They tried to sort out the Rodgers situation first, and it didn't take until the the night before training camp started for Aaron Rodgers to make his decision and publicly say, I'm coming back to the Packers. 
Well, Devonta Adams, all offseason, wanted to negotiate with the Packers about and, and talk about a new contract extension. Those talks didn't really happen, or if they did, they weren't too serious, in part because, again, the Packers had their sights set and their attention on getting Aaron Rodgers back. So Devontae Adams felt like the the plan B. He felt like the, the lost or, or the unloved stepchild to the Packers because all their attention was getting Aaron Rodgers back. They didn't really care about anything else. So Devontae Adams cut off his contract negotiations the very first day of training camp. He said, we're not talking contract extension. I'm focused on the season. I will be here. He wasn't holding out. He wasn't going to make a big stink about it. He says, I will be here, and we'll reassess the contract after the season. So he put a self-imposed deadline for contract negotiations, and he ended them training camp, the first day of training camp. Well, when Aaron Rodgers returns the night before training camp, that gives the Packers, what, 12 hours, if that, to try to negotiate a brand new contract with Devonta Adams to make him the highest paid receiver in the NFL. As we know, those contracts were nowhere close, not serious, and Devonta Adams cut off the talks with um, with the Packers. So even though he was there and publicly kind of put on a brave face, that really pissed off Devonta Adams. And there was reports from Peter Schrager of NFL Network, who was on with Pat McAfee last week, that basically said. Once that training camp deadline came and went, and there's really no serious talks, Devontae Adams, in his mind, kind of knew, I'm done here in Green Bay. I'm done. I'm not coming back. They don't value me. They don't respect me, so I'm not going to you know, respect them, and I'm going to leave once the season was over. So all of that attention paid on Aaron Rodgers this past year cost them Devontae Adams. Because think about it. If we do it the other way, if we look at and live in a world, an alternate universe, where the Packers, let's say, I don't know, draft a receiver instead of Jordan Love, draft an offensive lineman, draft a, a no tackle, it doesn't matter. Don't even draft anyone. They trade the pick. If the Packers don't select Jordan Love in 2020, we can now go forward knowing, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really have a right to be upset with the organization. So all throughout that 2020 offseason, after the draft was made, there's you know, no real reason to be concerned or focus about keeping Aaron Rodgers in uh, Green Bay. Sure, that loss to Tampa Bay still will happen. But after, maybe Aaron Rodgers is still upset and frustrated with how the team played, how he played, that he is not dropping hints that he could leave Green Bay. Because again, they've given him no true reason to kind of feel upset or feel slighted. So he doesn't make those my future is a beautiful mystery um, or my, yeah, my future is a beautiful mystery comment, which means that the entire 2021 offseason, the Packers aren't chasing after Aaron Rodgers to make sure he's happy. They're not chasing after him to try to keep him in Green Bay, which means with their sole focus not on Aaron Rodgers, their sole focus could have been on Devontae Adams and trying to get a brand new contract extension done. And you know what? I bet you, with the influence Aaron Rodgers has, with the fact that Devonta Adams has been the best receiver in the NFL since coming into the league, or at least since 2016, we'll say in that five-year span, they would have hammered out a contract negotiation. I do think they would have got one done where Devonta Adams would have been happy and the Packers would have been happy. But they would have had all offseason last year to focus on negotiations and try to hammer out a deal. 
Instead, again, when all your sole focus is getting Aaron Rodgers back, you put Devonta Adams on the back burner. He felt disrespected. He felt ignored. And he held that grudge all the way through the season and all the way through this offseason to where you hear reports and you see reports that the Packers ended up offering him more money than the Raiders did. He got a five-year, $141.25 million deal. He is the highest-paid receiver in the NFL right now in terms of average annual value. There was reports that the Packers would have given him even more money. So it's not about the money for Devonta Adams. He felt slighted by the organization so much so that he left money on the table in Green Bay to leave the quarterback, who not only is a two-time MVP, but the quarterback who's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL that, that has helped him get to this all-pro status. He left him, left money on the table, because he felt so slighted last offseason when the Packers basically gave him the cold shoulder when it came to contract negotiations, all because the Jordan Love pick back in 2020 set the wheels in motion for discontent. For frustration. For the Packers to and Green Bay to ignore the best receiver in the NFL because they were chasing, again, rightfully so, their quarterback and Aaron Rodgers to make sure he returned. So I can't fault the Packers in terms of prioritizing Aaron Rodgers' future over Devonta Adams. Again, there was points last year where the Packers didn't even know if Aaron Rodgers was returning for the 2021 season. And Devonta Adams is under contract for 2021. So you already have a guy that's going to be there for 2021. I understand why you're not prioritizing him and his future when you are instead worried about the here and now. Will one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, the reigning MVP, return to our team next season? I get why the Packers did it. But this is Green Bay finally paying the price for Jordan Love. Because you think about it. Let's say Devonta Adams just took the money. Let's say Devontae Adams, no matter how he felt or how he felt the team ignored him, said, you know what, the Packers want to give me the most money? Screw it, I'll stay here. The Packers really wouldn't have paid the price for Jordan Love because although they they kind of hurt themselves by not getting maybe a second receiver or getting someone else that could bolster the team in another area, the Jordan Love pick could have catastrophically crippled them by forcing Aaron Rodgers out of town, which it almost did, and lose to Devontae Adams. But if they didn't lose Devontae, and they obviously re-signed Aaron Rodgers, you could really say, you know what? No harm, no foul. You took the quarterback. There were some choppy waters there. But in the end, the quarterback stayed. You signed the receiver. So all's well that ends well. The Jordan Love pick didn't really cost him. You could almost could have said that if you're the Packers. But in the end, again, because of all the attention the Packers paid to Aaron, ignored Devontae, that came back to bite them. And the reason why they paid all the attention to Aaron Rodgers is because the Jordan Love pick set the wheels in motion for discontent from Rodgers towards the Packers. So that's to me, well, you can you can put the blame on the Devontae Adams trade on one person or really one decision, we'll say, and that's Brian Gutekunst's decision to draft Jordan Love back in 2020. That is the reason why Jordan Love not him specifically, but the selection of him is the reason why Devontae Adams is now in the desert playing with his best friend in Derek Carr and not in Green Bay gearing up for a, a Super Bowl run next season. The Packers got worse. The Packers lost one of the best receivers in the NFL because of their selection of Jordan Love 
two years ago. So we'll get, to, we'll get your thoughts here on the Devontae Adams um, trade. Is there any way in your mind he is still traded if the Packers don't select uh, Jordan Love a few years ago, but also when we return? Deshaun Watson chooses the Browns. Is that the right decision by Deshaun Watson? Did he make the right call in choosing the Browns over the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons? We will discuss that when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Ryan Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here. Going up to the top of the hour right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I do want to go back to discuss the decision made by Deshaun Watson to choose the Browns over the Saints, the Panthers, and the Falcons. In your mind, was this the right decision made by Deshaun Watson to go to a loaded AFC to play with a Cleveland Browns team instead of going to the Saints the Panthers, or the Falcons in the NFC South? My answer is yes. I absolutely think the that Deshaun Watson made the right call in going to Cleveland. They, to me, are Super Bowl contenders instantaneously. They're on the same level as the Chiefs. They're on the same level as the Bills. And he made the right call, even in a tougher conference, that will have a lot of success now going forward. The Browns, I think, fit everything Deshaun Watson was looking for, everything Deshaun Watson needed. According to Jonathan Jones, NFL reporter for CBS Sports, last week he reported that Deshaun Watson is looking for three pieces of criteria for his team next year. He wanted a team that had a good O-line, a good defense, and a good head coach. When you look at the four teams that that Deshaun Watson was deciding between, the Browns were the only one that could check all three of those boxes. Good O-line, check. Good defense, check. Good head coach, check. O-line is going to be you know, by far the best Deshaun Watson has ever played behind. Two really good tackles in Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin. Obviously, that offensive line is also extremely elite at run blocking. The Browns have been top six in the NFL in rushing yards each of the last three seasons. So he's going to have a big break in the running game. He's going to have a good offensive line that could keep him upright and protected. That is a big boost that the Browns have. So, boom, big check next to good O-line. They have a really good defense. They can get after the quarterback led by Miles Garrett. They have a really good secondary, which, again, when you look at the rest of the AFC, when you're in a conference with Mahomes, Allen, Watson, Wilson, or he is Watson, Wilson, Herbert, Burrow, you're going to need a secondary that at least could stand up to that competition, at least give you a chance to try to slow down and not have the opposing offense go up and down the field all game long. And the Browns have that. Browns have a good young secondary, a good, you know, young defense that is led by Miles Garrett getting after the quarterback. They have a lot of weapons there defensively to slow a lot of these elite defenses down. And I'm a believer in Kevin Stefanski. I like Kevin Stefanski as a coach. He was coach of the year two years ago. He helped Cleveland get to the playoffs for the first time since 02, helped to win a playoff game for the first time in almost a quarter century. He did a lot of good in year number one in Cleveland where last year I chalk up more to injuries uh, that really plagued the Browns than, let's say, underperformance or bad coaching. It was There was some bad coaching there and there's some underperforming there. Don't get me wrong. 
But I think a large part of why the Browns missed the playoffs last year was because of injuries. So I do think Kevin Stefanski is a good coach. He will scheme up and work well with Deshaun Watson. So when you look at the Browns, they could check all three boxes, good O-line, good defense, good coach, where the other three teams could not check all three. The Falcons, I would say, I like Arthur Smith so far. He's a good offensive mind. They don't have a good offensive line, the Falcons. Don't. They don't have a good defense, um, for the most part, that's consistent. So I don't think the Falcons were an attractive destination at all, even though reportedly at one point they were in Deshaun Watson's final two before he changed his mind. But I didn't really like a lot what the Falcons had to offer. The Saints, I think, could check two of the three. Good O-line, good defense. But Dennis Allen is a major question mark at, at head coach. Not only is it defensive mind head coach, but also he is now getting a second opportunity after failing big time with the Raiders. It was not pretty in his head coach's stint in Oakland. He is a very good defensive coordinator. We have seen, though, plenty of coaches that are great coordinators, not good head coaches. Now, Dennis Allen absolutely could have learned from his first experience, could be a better head coach. He um, learned a ton under Sean Payton, so maybe that some of that Sean Payton... Um, Great coaching rubs off on him. But we have seen plenty of instances that show coordinate or good coaches can be great coordinators and not very good head coaches. So the jury's out on Dennis Allen. If I'm Deshaun Watson, even though the division's easier, the conference is easier, I don't feel a great hitch in my wagons to a big question mark that is Dennis Allen at head coach. And for the Panthers, really good young defense, right? Top five defense, top two defense in terms of total defense last year. They are, they are young, they're tenacious, they're feisty. But when you look at the O-line, they have improved it in the offseason, especially in free agency, uh, signing some vets to their O-line, but it's still not great. It's a big work in progress. And Matt Rule, I like Matt Rule. I like his coaching style. The issue, there's, there's twofold with, with Matt Rule. Number one, the offense um, has is way behind the defense. The offense, whether it's offensive line, playmakers, quarterback, has been a total disaster. So the selections he has made, um, have not worked out, but also twofold, your owner and David Tepper in Carolina is very impatient. He is someone that wants to win and wants to win right now. He wants to make a big splash. So it is kind of going into year number three, playoffs are bust if you are Matt Rule. And that again, if you're Deshaun Watson, not a great offensive line where the best playmaker, best player in Christian McCaffrey on the team is not on the field. He's only played 10 games the last two years. So that's a big question mark there. If you know the best players even gonna and the best weapons even gonna be with you for most of the season. And the head coach you're signing up for in Matt Rule could be fired at the end of the year because David Tepper is someone who's aggressive and wants to win and win right now. So all three of the other teams, the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints, I think have at least one hole that Deshaun Watson is looking for, where the Browns, I would say all three, they check the box. Good online, good defense, good head coach. So I like the decision made by Deshaun Watson. I think he made the right call in going to the Browns over going to a team in the NFC South. Before we get out of here, I do want to comment on one thing about the Browns and their their future and where they rank in the, um, in the AFC. Right? It's a very loaded conference. It is a deep conference with a lot of good teams. Um, I put the Browns right now, when they have Deshaun Watson, I think they are in the elite category. I think they are in the same breath, in the same um, tier as the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Broncos. When we look at the AFC, 
I think four teams have separated themselves right now for everyone else. I think it's the Chiefs, it's the Bills, it's the Broncos, and I would put the Browns in there as well. There's, you know, I begin tweets, and, and my guy, Misko, I love Misko, does tweet me, at Ryan Hickey Show if you want to tweet. He says, calling the Browns a Super Bowl contender and putting them on the same level as the Bills and the Chiefs after bringing in a guy with one career playoff win in a season uh, after he didn't play to shake off rust is just bananas, in all quotes. Does not agree with the Browns, or at least me putting the Browns in the league category. Here's why. So I get to Sean Watson has not played in a year. But the Browns are, to me, still on par and on the same level with the Chiefs, with the Bills, and with the Broncos is because, number one, even though he didn't play last year, Deshaun Watson is still a top-five quarterback. He is elite. Coming in at 27, I think there won't be a lot of rust for him to shake off. And if you look at his last year in uh, Houston, in 2020, this is a guy who led the NFL in passing yards, threw 33 touchdowns to seven picks, and if you look at that Houston Texans roster, he was playing with literal nobodies. The organization was a mess. Bill O'Brien was fired four games in. There was no competence at all at the top. The Every good player was traded away. The offensive line stunk. There was no run game. He had so much going against him, but he still had a career year with one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now you put him on a team that has a really good offensive line, a really good run game, a really solid defense. To me, Deshaun Watson, even though there's not a lot of great receivers on the Browns, this team is so balanced and so loaded, and Deshaun Watson is so talented that I think the Browns are going to be a a team that's right there, and he's going to come in right away and and pick it up quick. Not going to be a lot of rust, I don't think. And I think he's still good enough, and it's easy to forget when we don't see a guy for a year, and the last time we see him, he was playing for a 4-12 and team. So I get it's easy to write off, oh, how good is he? I get it's easy to not pay attention to what Sean Watson was doing in 2020 because the Texans were so bad that by the time basically October came, they're already out of the playoff race because of uh, just how um, how inept the team was. But Deshaun Watson was by far one of the best quarterbacks the last time he was on the field. I think he'll come in in 2022, pick up where he left off in Houston, and now he has the best team around him by far, of his career. And the Browns, 2-53, through 53, outside quarterback, I still think have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. Again, really good O-line, really good run game, really good defense, good secondary. They do a lot of things really well. And now you bring in a top-five quarterback to pair with a team that is deep and balanced. To me, this team, this Browns team, is right there with the Chiefs, with the Bills, with the Broncos, in terms of those four teams have separated themselves from everyone else in the AFC, and they are the four elite teams that are cut above everyone else in a very loaded AFC conference. So I'm bullish on the Browns. I'm bullish on Deshaun Watson. I think he's going to come in here and on the field-wise, be a revelation for Cleveland. Be by far the best quarterback they've ever seen and make the Browns legitimate Super Bowl contenders, not only from day one, for the next decade. It's going to be really fun to watch. He's, I think, going to be, at least on the field, have a really good career in Cleveland. That's why I think he made the right choice and go in the Browns over the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons. 
So that'll do it for this Monday edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Really appreciate all of you who tuned in and made us a part of your Monday to start the week. Hopefully we got it started off on the, the right track. We will be back on Thursday. Get you ready for the Sweet 16. Um, so barely, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, your bracket is alive. Maybe not well, but at least alive is what we'll take here. So we'll get you ready for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight uh, on Thursday's show. So as always, between now and then, stay safe. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.